Welcome to Leaders on the Rise, Season 2, Road to a Million and Beyond. I'm your host, Lydia Pierre, also known as the Corporate Socialite. In this season, we're going to be talking to some of the most successful and inspiring business leaders of our time about their journey to reaching millions in revenue. We're going to be diving into the nitty gritty of what it takes to build a successful business from finding the great idea to executing on that idea and scaling it to the next level. We'll also be talking about the challenges and obstacles that these leaders had to overcome along the way and how they were able to overcome them. If you're an entrepreneur looking to take your business to the next level, then this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's get inspired. Hello there, and welcome to Leaders on the Rise, Road to a Million and Beyond. And today we have a guest that is going to blow your socks off and be able to tell us about so many different things when it comes to not only the world of business and how to raise money on your road to a million, but also how to look at it from a sports perspective and how you could build that amazing team to help you take that goal all the way down the field and score. So welcome to the show, founder and managing partner, of Integrity Square, Mr. Pete Moore. Hey, Pete. Thank you. I feel like there should be some applause track at the back. So, uh, Lydia, great to uh, great to see you there. I appreciate that. And I uh, look forward to uh, talking shop with you on building big businesses, which, uh, you know, starts as small ideas and you, know, you got to build it, uh, you know, one brick at a time. So happy to, uh, you know, go through that chronology with you. And, and I use this phrase, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. So, you want to find advisors in a business that have a lot of experience and kind of keep you on a path and, you know, make sure you don't go, uh, go in the gutter, if you will, uh, like on a, you know, kids bowling, uh, when they put up those rails, those are, right. you know, those are your guards, uh, and those are your mentors, uh, as far as I, I view it. So far away, I look forward to, uh, to chatting. Absolutely. I'm so excited to have you because, I mean, whenever someone is starting a new business, either as an entrepreneur or even someone just starting in a new space, a lot of times capital becomes an issue, like money, trying to figure out how to start, where do I start? And Integrity Square not only helps you to identify sources of capital, but surrounds you with those experts that can help you make the right decisions on that path. So talk to us about who you are, how you founded Integrity Square, and why? Sure. Um, yeah, I grew up in Long Island, uh, went to Emory, right by you down in Atlanta, uh, undergrad. Uh, I was always playing defense in, in any sport that I played, whether that was a goalie in soccer or defense in hockey, um, you know, taking a charge in basketball. I always kind of viewed myself as like, I'm going to make sure we don't lose, and mm-hmm. I'm going to allow my goal scorers or my the the other players to make sure you know that that we're we're going to win. Um, so I was always never really the guy who was, um, you know, I needed to score the most points or I needed to be at the front. Uh, I just wanted to kind of be at, at the back and support right. uh, and make things happen from, from that standpoint. Um, you know, and then I, as I got into business, I, I kind of uh, followed in my father's uh, business footsteps and he was a CEO of the company uh, of a food service equipment company, coffee company back in the day. Uh, and just learned that if you're going to create a team, you know, you got to listen to people. You got to have a very clear strategy. You got to be able to execute. Um, and when I got into banking and learned about finance and learned about strategy, you know, I, I got very comfortable in an in advisory role and kind of seeing what's around the corner. 
um, with businesses. But what I really learned uh, as I looked at startup companies is you really got to start a company based on a personal frustration mm-hmm. or a frustration that you've been able to solve. Yeah, I work in what we call the halo sector, health, active lifestyle, outdoors. Um, we kind of redefine the word wellness into health, active lifestyle, outdoors to create the halo effect. Um, and what I found is that, you know, as people come up with different, whether it's a supplement or whether it's a workout program um, or whether it's a new product, you know, it's typically something that they've kind of hacked, if you will, mm-hmm. on their own and then, and then got other people to say, hey, I like what you're doing. And then they end up commercializing it. Uh, so there are people that come to me and say, you know, as an example, I'm going to merge this uh, cycling class with aerial yoga, and I'm going to put a uh, resistance band on the uh, on the bike. And I'm like, what What does that do for you? You know, did, did that turn into something that created physical or mental or, you know, beneficial results for you? Or are you just trying to put different you know, fitness workouts all together on, on, you know, on one bike is like a machine. Um, you know, so a lot of the billing and software companies that are, that are prevalent in the industry came out of somebody saying, Hey, I'm not be, I'm not able to manage my membership and my billing. Uh, I'm not able to communicate with my members. So they built the software that software was then used by other clubs. And then that turned into large companies. So I always say like, figure out what the frustration you're solving what that is worth to your customer or what it was worth to you when you developed it for yourself. Uh, and then what the unit economics or what the business model is behind that. And that becomes kind of the special sauce of your business. So it's all got to start from the beginning of I saw I'm solving a problem. And if anyone's listening here and they feel like they're kind of sort of solving a problem, but maybe not providing a lot of value, then go think of another problem. Uh, that you're having personally and, and figure out how to solve it. And that frustration solution, you know, could potentially turn into a product or turn into a company or a service. Mm, interesting. And and I, I like that approach because essentially that's what business is, right? It's, it's solving a problem that is needed because if they don't need you, then essentially what are you doing here? Right. What are you really? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, say, Oh, I need money to do this. Um, you know, I need to raise X amount of dollars, you know, an investor, the, the investor kind of, you know, life cycle, if you will, is, you know, I'm, I'm getting money from angel investors or I'm getting money from friends and family. And those are people that know me for a while and, and trust me and, and, and want me to succeed. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you get a series A round. So you might get, you know, more capital, um, to build your team and to build out your product further and to get some market penetration. And what I think people might have forgotten along the way is that when you get a Series A investment, let's say a, a million or two or three million dollars from a group of investors or from a venture capital firm, you're basically doing an experiment. Okay. If that experiment works, then you get a Series B mm. and then you get a Series C and then it kind of goes along that, that trajectory. And I think entrepreneurs, and I, I was a party to this myself. Uh, I went to Harvard Business School after working in banking after Emory. Um, they didn't teach you a class on like, how do you know it's time to to kind of pitch the tent up and 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 you got failed. Um, right. You know, some people say failure, you know, is uh, the acronym would be like a first attempt in learning uh, is the word fail. Uh, so, you know, you can't be shy to take risks 
Uh, but you also have to know when maybe the market's not ready. I started up a software company, internet company in 2000 to 2003. Uh, and it was an awesome technology platform, but the pipes weren't big enough. There was no broadband. There was no Wi-Fi. There was no mo mobile phones. So, you know, you got to know that when your product is in the right place at the right time and can actually be pushed into the market. Um, and you have to have a, a really... Uh, you have to pour water on yourself sometimes to take a dose of of reality, but also maintain your level of optimism that you are going to succeed. Um, but I feel like a lot of a lot of companies try to grow too fast and maybe don't really understand what their special sauce is or like what's unique about what they're doing. Uh, so I would I would tell people, you know, take a time out like you do in sports. Uh, figure out what you're really good at. Make sure you can articulate that to the market and to investors and to your team. Uh, and then you can kind of go down a path. You know, most companies that go 100 miles an hour, they crash and burn. Uh, but for a while, people think like, oh, wow, this is, the, right. you know, the next Bitcoin or this is the next, you know, uh, pets.com or whatever company, you know, that, that's grown. And then kind of they never really realized who they were uh, or how they were going to do business. They just spent a lot of money. Um, you could say Peloton as an example, um, you know, probably did things because they had too much money uh, and didn't really think about methodically building the business. They thought they were going to just kind of go on a rocket trip and business doesn't work that way. No, not at all, at all. And I, I find it interesting that you said about taking that pause, taking that beat to kind of get it together. And and that's what I, I, was, I had to find out on my entrepreneurial journey, because I think it's important for people to hear this piece that. There might be a time in your journey where you where you don't know what you're doing and you have to just kind of just stop everything and just figure it out again and pivot. Right. Like some people try and just push through it and just work through it. But sometimes you may need to stop and reassess and reevaluate and then get back out there. What are some of the ways that your team of advisors have either dealt with that piece when it comes to the clients or worked with them in that space? Is that something that you help clients work through? You know, the best part about, you know, being an advisor or being a consultant is that you get to kind of walk into a company without any of the legacy, you know, knowledge of, of how they do things. And you kind of just walk in and say, you know, let me understand how this movie played out, if you will, and where we're at. But let me look at it with a fresh set of eyes. So as an example, we, we started consulting for a company that... Um, in every one of their workout classes, they had over 60 um, participants in New York City. And it was a high-intensity training workout, loud music, a DJ. Uh, you'd go in there and you'd say, oh, this place must be killing it, right? They just got 60 people in every class, high energy, almost like a nightclub inside of a fitness studio. And they were losing money. And they needed someone like us to come in and say, Hey, look, you, you have too many trainers on the floor. Like you've got 60 members, but you've got eight trainers and you've got a live DJ. Uh, do we need a live DJ for every class or can we put on a Spotify playlist? You know, are there eight instructors here on the floor? Because it's chaos. It's like it, they were like trying to control chaos of like a, a workout playground, if you will. So what we said is like, look, let's kind of like unravel what we're doing here and rebuild it. You know, and, and a lot of that takes structure. So, you know, I can have 60 people in a class uh, and I could run that with one instructor for, let's say, $100 uh, or $200 in New York City. Or I can have 60 people in a class and I can have 
$1,000 worth of instructors. And I could have a studio that has eight classes a day and somehow employs 80 part-time trainers. You know, so they, they created so much administrative issues. They created all this like chaos going on and they were trying to control it with labor instead of saying like, let's figure out what the program is. How do I like sequentially move through the program and set up workout stations that maybe don't need instruction? Um, you know, if I'm doing ropes, if you will, you know, like the ropes, can you show people right. I'm doing ropes? How am I doing so far? <laughs> yes. I don't need someone to tell me how to do that after you tell me one time, right? Uh, if I've got a bike, it's an assault bike, and I'm I'm pushing my arms and my legs, I don't need an instructor for that. So let's stage those out on this 20-station workout program in order to eliminate some of the labor, eliminate some of the chaos, and that also eliminates a lot of human resources, right. accounting, paying people, and creating like a business that is scalable and that people can actually you know replicate. A lot of business is when you see an entrepreneur in a location-based business, they are the business. Like they are the fighter, firefighter. They are the marketer. They are the accountant. Uh, and what you really need to do is kind of unravel the business and try and simplify it for yourself. And when you simplify it for yourself, that's when you have a business that could be franchised or someone comes to you and says, hey, I want to actually deploy your Orange Theory you know, workout or I want to do a you know, club Pilates, because they figured out the special sauce, they figured out the operations and the systems, and that can deliver it to you. You know, franchising is supposed to be delivering somebody an operating model that makes money. That's the the role of what franchises are supposed to be, whether it's a Chick-fil-A, you know, McDonald's. Um, Do they still have... um, What's the Crystal Burgers? No, what's... Is it Crystal? Crystal. Is Crystal still around? So crystal, like they don't put that much meat on the burger. Maybe that's part of the special sauce of maintaining high profits. I don't know. Right. right. <laughs> so it's so what I tell people is like, take time to figure out what you're doing instead of trying to push through and grow through some of the, the pain. Sometimes growth kind of masks problems. People mm-hmm. are like, yeah, we're growing, but it's like, it's like a train that's about to go off the tracks. Right. So in business or like we're in the March Madness right now, you know, Every team gets uh, three timeouts, uh, a half. I'm not even sure. I shouldn't know the answer to that. Um, and they all take the timeouts, right? Because I got to fix something. Right. I got to strategize about something. And how many times the people listening here, like, take a pause for a second and tell me how many times you say, timeout, we're not doing any more customer calls today, all right? Because the script's not right. Or we're getting this kind of feedback. Or we got a product issue. Stop selling product. Let's fix it, right? right. But when you take the timeouts, then you can actually address and, and optimize your business and make changes, you know, that, that are long-term versus trying to, you know, kind of just steamroll over, you know, issues that you're having with, with your own company. Right. I love that approach because so many times, I don't know if it's a society thing or if it's just a, oh, we're, we're in business. We have to just keep going, 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 but we're so hard on ourselves and we don't give us our, our business. Cause it's a living, breathing thing. Right. And we don't, give, we don't give it, the chance to just like any living, breathing thing, rest and rebuild and refresh and things like that. We just keep going, going, going. So I really love that approach of recognizing that it's okay to take that break, take that pause, take that time out that you are entitled to. Like what's going to yeah. happen if you take it? Like it's just <laughs> take your time out. Yeah, If you take it, you're only going to make yourself better. And, yeah. you know, you think that you're going to be behind, you know, be behind on a track 
you know, like a NASCAR, you know, when they stop in, in, in the pit. In a pit. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the, if you make the right pit stops at the right time, you win the race. Yeah. Um, you know, and you don't blow out your tires. So it's actually probably a lot of good analogies, you know, with NASCAR and, and racing to uh, to building a sustainable and, and strong business and, and a strong team. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other things I wanted to mention related to, you know, building a business, we, we do this podcast called Halo Talks. And I was interviewing a guy who was the uh, president of a company uh, that did all the billing for about 10,000 health clubs. So if you, if you have a health club membership and you give them your credit card or your checking account, there's one company called ABC Financial or ABC Fitness in Little Rock, Arkansas that had 10,000 uh, health clubs and each had 4,000 members. So you know, they were billing like 4 million, I think that's the math, 4 million uh, member credit cards every month. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I had the guy on the phone uh, on a podcast and he's like, ABC Fit, ABC Fitness, a 38 year overnight success. 38 years it took him <laughs> to actually build this business. And it was basically going to every health club around the country, going to trade shows, getting them to get on with the system, you know, and you're basically collecting money for somebody. You know, you're like the second most important person or relationship because I'm collecting all the revenue. Amen. On your behalf out of Arkansas, so you better trust me. Um, you know, and after 38 years, you know, they built up this trust and they sold the company to a large investment firm for $650 million. But they did that methodically. They did that where they cared about each one of their, their client accounts. And they were always high on customer support. So there was never a time when you couldn't get ABC on the phone. Okay. There was never a time that they didn't troubleshoot an issue. And when you build a business with that type of, you know, DNA to it, you know, it'll go a long way. So there are some people that come to me and say, my, I'm selling this software. My clients don't get it. They're idiots. You know, you sold them the software. That's your responsibility to train them and to get them educated on how to use it. Like they're not, you can't fault them for becoming your client because you started this. Right. If you know what I mean. Right. So, right. So we see a lot of different things, but people sometimes just grow and bring on these accounts. And then you see that they lose a lot of accounts. So it's almost like all this work is is for naught because you've got such high churn rate and you don't have repeat customers and you got bad you know, Yelp reviews. And it's hard to recover from that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and to your point about owning that relationship, right? Owning that relationship that you started with that client and it being your responsibility to make sure they have all the tools they need to succeed, especially in that relationship, just like with any relationship, right? Um, how exactly. how would one, a trusted advisor, it's huge. That term, trusted advisor is very important because this is someone that you're trusting to advise them, right? And let's be honest, um, Pete, like we, we know people who need advisors generally need, need us because they either don't know or want to know, et cetera. But sometimes the client does approach it as if they know more than you or they are resistant to the information or the the support or advice that you're giving them what do you do in a situation like that when your client is not trusting it's not even not trusting the trusted advisor but just won't receive the help that you're trying to give them and uh, i mean that's a great question um you know the first thing is anything you're doing and you don't know how to do it and you haven't done it before you have to do the research, you have to talk to people, and you have to get smart on what you're doing. 
So you always have to reach out and, and understand a, a business, understand a market, and understand how things work. So, you know, there's a lot of focus on market research firms and, and getting data, as well as listening and doing surveys. So th there's no substitute for, for getting up to speed on that. If you're going to raise capital, <clears throat> or if you're going to sell your business to a company that all they do is buy and sell businesses, it's like you playing checkers and they're playing chess, all right, on the same board. They will take advantage of you, not necessarily because they don't like you uh, or they're trying to uh, extract value out of you, but this is how they do deals. So if I say to you, <clears throat> you know, Lydia, I'm going to buy your business for uh, <clears throat> $5 million, but I'm only going to pay you $2 million today. Uh, I'm going to pay you $3 million, uh, in five years from now. You, know, you might say, hey, that's great. I got a $5 million deal. Um, and I'm going to work for the next five years, and I'm going to get this three million dollar payout uh, year five. And, and you might say, okay, that sounds good to me. I trust that they're going to pay it. Right. But you need someone to advise you to say, all right, is there a guarantee on the three million? What happens if the relationship doesn't work? What happens if they fire you? What happens if they fire you for cause because you did something bad? What happens if they don't have the money in year five to pay you? What if they sold their company to somebody else? Who's paying me now? So can I can they can they sell my three million dollar obligation to me to somebody that I don't know? So in, unless you go through until you go through an M and A mergers and acquisition or a cap raise process, you won't know all the things to ask because it's like watching a movie. I haven't seen the movie yet. I don't know what happens. Right. right. So right. the reason to bring in an advisor is to basically tell you like, look, here's kind of like the rules of engagement. Here's what's fair. Here's what's not fair. Here's what's market. And basically, I call my firm Integrity Square for a reason. It's called, if you have integrity, you're allowed in the square. And if, you have if you're a client of Integrity Square, you're protected by the square. Mm -hmm. So an advisor is a protector. And that's how I view the relationship with a client. Now, to your point, which is a great question, when some, someone says to me, you know, I don't think you're right. You know, I want to do it, do it my way. One, I'm going to listen and try and figure out maybe they are right. You know, maybe they know something about their business that I don't know. But what I typically do is I say, let me tell you a story. Okay. Let me tell you a story of something that happened in the last deal that I worked on or five years ago when somebody agreed to these terms or somebody put out these projections but couldn't hit them or tried to hide something in diligence that they shouldn't have hidden because it comes out at the last day and the deal doesn't close. Or somebody who says, I'm getting my business worth 25 million. Um, and they came back at 24. So I'm not selling my business. And now the business is worth zero because they had competition that they didn't know about. So storytelling is a big part of my job mm. to educate people. And let me tell you what happened before. There's a factual story. And as an advisor, and like you on a podcast, I'm good at storytelling. And I'll maybe, you know, take a commercial break and come back and tell you what happened at the end. Okay. And it's usually somebody that made a bad decision that I told them, don't make this because the story is going to replay itself. So right. that is the key to advisory is to be able to have a history and a chronology of stories and then let the client make their own assessment of what the risks are after they know the story. And at that point, I've done my job. And I could say, I told you this could happen. There's a 90% chance it's going to happen. 10% chance it won't. 
but I'm usually right because I've been doing this for 23 years. So that's the way I, that's advisory business is history, understanding an industry and giving people advice and sometimes telling them things they don't want to hear. Exactly. Exactly. A a lot of times telling them things they don't want to (laughs) hear. Yeah. And doing deals is is hard. You know, when you're trying to get an investor in your business, um, you know, you're basically creating almost like a marriage, if you will. Um, and someone might come in as a minority investor in your company and you're all excited about this person, one, putting money down, believing in you, telling people, hey, I'm an investor in, you know, Pierre Branding Group. And you realize that they're calling you up every week and they're asking you for your financials. They want a, a recap of what happened with all of your clients this week. They want to know if you're hitting your projections. What am I getting my money back? Right. What do you think my return is going to be? Hey, I got this client that I want to introduce to you. Or I got this buyer that wants to buy a business. So sometimes investors can be helpful uh, and sometimes investors can be like in your grill at all times that it actually hurts your ability to succeed because they're putting up all these administrative or taking up a lot of time. So you got to manage your investors and you got to basically set some rules up front of how you're going to communicate with them and what kind of information you're going to provide because you want to go back to them with good news and bad news. And if you need more money, when you tell somebody the truth and they know what's going on, they're more likely to throw you a lifeline or be there for you in, in a bad time. I had, I had an investor. We made an investment in a company and uh, and the CEO uh, kind of created his own strategy. Right. Contrary to what we agreed upon when we made the investment, we were going to do go down and we were going to become, I don't want to give this up, but let's say. The town was going to become, uh, I was going to make, uh, produce footballs. Okay. He decided okay. we were going to produce basketballs. I'm like, no, dude, we're producing footballs. I invested in the football strategy. I didn't invest in the basketball strategy. Right. That's just an analogy. It's not the actual case. So he came back and he said, Hey, um, I want to invest in the footballs now. You know, I'm like, I gave you 500 grand through my investor group to create footballs and you decided to create basketballs. I'm not giving you a second chance. You had one chance. You know, to to execute on the plan, right? And you didn't follow the plan, so I'm not giving you another chance at it. And if you go bankrupt, like that's not my fault. You didn't follow the play, you know. So you're not going to run the playbook that we agreed to, unless you come to me with a compelling idea and reason why you need to pivot the business. Football sales are down twenty percent. There's a couple more competitors. We're going to go to basketball. Right. Instead, he went rogue and said, "I'm going basketball. I know more than you. You know, you'll get your return." You know, I'm going to do my thing. And he was wrong. So you got to communicate at all times, you know, with your investors and you got to have a pulse on, you know, how they're, how they want to be treated. Um, You only have so much energy in a day. And that's one of the things that people need to realize that if you start your day and you, and you take care of certain things that are not important because you want to check them off your list. And I still do this sometimes because I got a to-do list and I say, oh, I can check up these five things. Those five things get the most your 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 best energy source. Right. You know, so think about prioritizing your day, you know, to get the best energy in the right places. Right. Absolutely. And and that comes with intention and being purpose driven and focused. How about that? Like you have to be really focused to be able to hundred percent. Yeah. And look, my friend always says to me, you know, like, what's your return on time? Right. Mm-hmm. All you have is time. Right. So where are you gonna put that? You're gonna put that towards closing this deal. Or are you going to put that towards a new, you know, a new idea, or taking a phone call, you know, with somebody that's not a revenue generating, 
you know, opportunity. So you got to mix and match how you spend your day. Um, but some people could get caught up in doing things that aren't productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somebody needs to help them, you know, put their energy in the right spot. Right. I would say one thing. I know I'm talking a lot right now, but it's your podcast. <laughs> You've invited me on. So right. <laughs> we'll be hostile as long as you want. You know, I was looking outside my windows pre-COVID. Uh, we had a, a shared office space. So I was looking out my window and one of my analysts says, hey, now, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? Like, you're staring out the window for 10 minutes. Yeah, I said, oh, I'm thinking. And I feel like people don't spend enough time thinking. Mm-hmm. We're just spending too much time doing. And if you got to take away from the doing and think about what's going on in and around you, and that might help better position the company and just take a time to think about where you're at. Right. So much for the time out, but just like strategize on what the plays next play is. Yes. And I was actually going to make reference to that sports, um, the sports theme that you have going on, because much like that, um, taking that time out, but more so even visualization, right? Because a lot of, I don't know if people realize a lot of athletes or pro athletes, they have to do a lot of visualization. They have to see the plays in their head. They have to see the things happening before they even happen so they can know how they can execute so they can be able to pivot when they need to. So it's kind of like a, pre-planning but it's visualization and those times like even just standing looking out the window you're visualizing sometimes like meditating almost right (laughs) so you kind of stop your thoughts and give yourself a chance to have a clear look at what the next step is going to be or the near future is going to be so that you can execute that play yeah i mean i've got like a little vision board that i put together i call it like uh let's see if i have it yeah i have it right here now I've got like my little uh there's like my wheel. Uh-huh. My wheel of like these these are the things that matter. Oh, like a focus close, wheel. Yeah, focus wheel. So if I like these are the things that I want to get done. If these things happen, then these things can happen, and then that that this is how it benefits me. So oh. I think people need to write down like what I'm trying to achieve. Uh and then the other thing that we do is uh is we do I use this win-loss calendar. So like every day I decide if I won or lost. Mm. so at the end of a month i'll say like hey i went 20 and 10 you know so if i was a baseball team i'd be a playoff team and the wins and losses are subjective but people think you know i'm in business on a certain age i'm gonna win every day you know why don't you go become a professional baseball player and learn how to lose half the time and then come back to reality in your business and say if a baseball team is going to go 81 and 81 in a 162 game season and you've got a mediocre company and you're just kind of, tr- tr- you know, trudging along and trying to make it work. Right. Why would you go better than 81 and 81? You're going to lose every other day. Yeah. Get used to it. Yeah. You might win three times a day and lose once, you know, and I went, what entrepreneurs like you and I do is we, we went three and one today. And all we do is we think about the one loss that we had instead of thinking about like the wins and celebrate yeah. the wins and know you're going to lose. It's, it's life. Yes. And I'll keep you out of going that downward spiral where you get depressed and sad. And now you can't focus at all. It can't. Now you don't show up for the rest of your company. So you have well, you to. Got, you got a video camera in my apartment or something? <laughs> you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you are going to be depressed. It is going to be the loneliness, loneliest yeah. job you're ever going to have. And, you know, even in this day of, you know, exposing your mental health issues and your depression or, you know, your, your, Bipolarness, or whatever we want to call yes, it. Yeah, we're going to label it. You know, at the same time as an entrepreneur, you got to wake up and you got to be the one to say, "We're getting through." Like I'm a leader. 
Trust yeah. me. At the same time, you got to expose some of your weaknesses. Um, some of that's good. Some of that maybe you shouldn't really share. I mean, it's an interesting psychological, you know, question. Like if I'm if I'm the CEO of the company, I don't know. Do you need to know that I'm depressed like a couple days a couple days a week? I'd say I am, but at least a couple hours a day, right? right? When a deal doesn't close or I get a loss and something mm-hmm. bothers me. Um, so you really got to think about being the leader, making the right decisions, being methodical about your decisions, uh, and, and, and kind of taking things at 55 miles an hour instead of 80. Mm. And you make better decisions and people come into your life that are supposed to. Um, and, and that'll, that'll work instead of kind of running and hoping that you're going to be the, you know, next like billion dollar venture capital back company. You see those headlines and then you see, the 10,000 companies that aren't or 100,000 companies that aren't, you know? So yeah, calibrate that. absolutely. And I, and I appreciate your honesty and transparency in that space, because uh, again, a lot of people get into this entrepreneurial game thinking it's going to be, oh, I'm leaving my nine to five. I'm going to have a sense of freedom. I'm going to do this. And it, it gets real and it gets real, really quick. And it keeps getting real. Like you don't get used to it. I think that's where I got okie doke. I, I figured, oh, if I make it past the five year mark, I'm good. Now it's just yeah. smooth sailing. I figured it out, but no, then pandemics hit. <laughs> Things yeah, I mean, happen. I think yeah, I mean, I, I on my podcast sometimes I say, you know, what would you say to your younger self? Um, you know, what advice would you give your younger self? And I think what I'd give my the advice to my younger self would be like, just slow down. You know, try and enjoy the ride. If you pick this roller coaster to be an entrepreneur, like just put your seatbelt on and just know what's going to happen, and don't think that. The world is against you. All my clients are, you know, out to get me or don't don't want to pay me. Like it's a like you're sign you're signing up for a roller coaster and it's got loops and it goes fast. Sometimes it doesn't move at all, right? Like right, you know, you know when the roller coaster, like you sit there and like, oh yeah, they're gonna start the roller coaster. Yeah. And you're almost right? dreading, you prepared yourself for it, and then it's like, is it gonna start? Yeah, then they, like then the then it catches like, you off guard anyway. Yeah, and it goes like chelts you. Yeah. Um, so, like, you, you're going on this ride. Vol- so, you're becoming an entrepreneur voluntarily. Right. Like, nobody put us in this position, right? So, you, you're automatically slightly crazy uh, and don't really listen to others. And <laughs> probably your parents think, like, you should have taken a day job and get a paycheck every two weeks. And you're like, I'm not doing that. So, part of this could be, like, you, you get, you're, like, revenging your, your parents for, like, trying to keep you in a box and, you know, make you go down a certain, you know, career path. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, it's the most exhilarating thing you can do. Uh, you have the maximum amount of freedom. Um, but with freedom, and I've been a, you know, a, uh, a beneficiary of this, but also like it, it's, it's hard to maintain the levels of discipline at times when if I, if I want to go take a nap right now, I'm taking a nap. Yeah. You know, if I want to go play pickleball, I'm playing pickleball, right? If I'm in an office and I report to somebody else, I'm not doing that, right? So you have to have like this self-discipline you also have to have fun and, and enjoy the freedom, but you really need to anchor yourself because if I say to somebody, I'm in a meeting, right? Nobody's checking if I'm in a meeting. I might be meeting with somebody, you know, at the coffee shop and going to watch the World Cup, right? Right. To me, that's a meeting, right? I just happen to not be meeting for work. Right. Um, so you got to keep yourself, you know, on on some personal guardrails uh, because no one's checking in on you and no one's, you know, checking out on you. Right. Absolutely. And I want to make sure we touch on this before we close out at all. Um, we're closing out. 
Come on, we started. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know we're running on time. But um, I, I, I the loneliness piece that we talked about, right? Of course, it's a very, it could be a very lonely journey being an entrepreneur. But there are there is the benefit of building your own team. And I know you speak to that in your book, um, Time to Win Again, and you in the comparisons that you make in terms of the sports world and being in the world of business and how those two can definitely help support each other, those themes. So talk to us a little bit about the book and why you entitled it, It's Time to Win Again, and how those sports themes show up in the business world. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so during COVID, I was working on four different bankruptcies, which will basically like take everything out of you. Uh, and then I watched the, uh, the Michael Jordan uh, Last Dance documentary. Uh, on ESPN and realized that there's so many attributes of running a professional sports team, how they built a team and a nucleus around Jordan by bringing in some people that you wouldn't think, you know, would help them win a championship. Like, you know, Dennis Rodman, as an example, probably not, you know, the most, uh, you know, straight and narrow church going fellow that you can rely on. However, great rebounder. And we're saying like his eclectic, his eclectic, eclectic behavior and mannerisms, that's secondary to what, maybe that's a benefit to our team. I don't know. Maybe we bring in a couple of shooting guards that are, you know, six feet tall or six one. They might not look the part of like what a championship team is, but they actually play the part. Right. Um, you know, so when you're building a team for business, you know, a lot of companies build a really good infrastructure and a back office, uh, but they don't have a sales, like a top salesperson, or they don't have a top business development person. So in business, it's kind of like, you know, if I'm the Atlanta uh, Falcons, you know, if I don't have a couple of star wide receivers, I really don't have an offense. Right. So you got to pay up for talent and you got to put those people as a priority. You know, if I see a lot of companies like I got a great CFO, you know, I got a great head of human resources, I call the head of player personnel. Um, you know, I've got a great accounting firm. It's like, well, who's selling the product, right? Like, I need, I need, I need somebody scoring points for us. Yes, and I think sales. You know, sales is the hardest thing to to train. Sales is the hardest thing to do. Um, and, and these other jobs are like more playing defense than they are offense. So, you know, one of the takeaways here is that you know, if you're going to hire two people in customer support, um, instead double down and hire one really rock star salesperson. Okay, and then once that person sells, then go hire the customer support to manage the customer. Mm. So I think the sequencing of who you hire is super important because you only have a finite amount of capital, you know, to build a team. And you got to really think about what member do I need on this team to win right now where I am. And there's a company I looked at, they had like 60 people and they had like 40 people in engineering and like software. And like their sales were like half of what I thought they should be. Because they didn't have no sales people. They're just like, our product is so awesome, it's going to sell itself. Until, let me tell you, it doesn't. Someone's got to sell it. Yeah. So, yes. so in the book, we go through 52 takeaways to uh, of things that are important in, in building a, a, a professional team and building a franchise. Um, always look at what your competitors are doing. As we talked about, take timeouts. You know, weekly preparation. You know, we plan, we plan for a week. Lydia, you know, in, we're going to do a 20 minute Monday morning meeting. I still do this, you know, whereas a, an NFL team, they put in hundreds of hours of preparation for a 60 minute game. You know, what if you took all day Monday and said, we're going to prepare for the next four days in our business? It's a crazy idea, right? How can we do that? 
you know how productive those other four days would be if we actually spent the day? Here's our sales script for the week. Here's what we're going to do on products. We're going we're gonna to learn about each other. We're going to do research on our clients. We're going to actually prep more than five seconds or five minutes before a Zoom call. But if I spent five hours preparing for a Zoom call, every Zoom call is like a possession. Like I'm, I'm trying to convince someone to do something. I'm having a meeting. Yet I prepare for it like I'll check somebody's LinkedIn like you know, right before I get on the call. I'm not saying I implement everything I'm talking about. I'm trying to. Right. Um, but you got to prepare. And, you know, everybody has got a favorite sports team. They're always like, oh, they should have passed it or they should have, coach should have done that. Or, you know, this guy didn't show up. The only thing he did do was show up. He just didn't play well. Mm. Um, so my point is, like, you got to build a team and you got to figure out how you can win consistently. And that's based on how the team works, the systems, how it's positioned, how we're going to sell it, how we're going to support it, and how we're going to grow it methodically. And if you stay in your lane, you know, then then you can win. But if you start doing all different things like AI this and SaaS that, like if you're solving a problem, continue to solve the problem and get paid for it. Absolutely. I love that approach. And I definitely love the 52 takeaways. Can't wait to get my copy, first of all. It's in the mail already. It's in the mail. <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, if anyone's looking to get their copy, you go to timetowinagain.com and you'll see information about the 52 takeaways from Team Sports to ensure business success, written by Pete Moore. Um, and you'll learn more about that there. He's also the host of Halo Talks, which is his podcast where he talks about what we're talking about here, the halo effect that they're creating, which is another way to identify with wellness. Because as you said, Pete, you said wellness is kind of like the the absence of, or well, how did you refer it's to the that? opposite of illness? So if you just, if, if I'm well, I'm okay. I'm not sick, right? Or if I'm living the halo effect, I got energy. I'm making things happen. I'm changing the world. You know, I'm spreading that energy field to everybody around me and I'm making everyone better. So that's what the industry is about. And, you know, it spreads... You know, uh, like wildfire once people, you know, start living this way. So yeah, great absolutely. to be on. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So happy to have you. And of course, you guys can also go to the haloacademy.com to learn more about the halo effect, which is, which is health, active lifestyle, outdoor. All of that um, plays into the halo sector that they're talking about. They do two-week intensives. They do Zoom interactive classes, all led by Pete as well. Um, and again, he's the managing partner and founder of Integrity Square, which you can learn about as well. Um, if you just visit integritysq.com to learn more about their mission to advise, connect, and empower fast-growing companies, entrepreneurs, executives, and capital partners in the 4.2 T Health active lifestyle and outdoor sector. So definitely a lot you're of- my new, You are my new hype person, okay? <laughs> so if anybody wants to, to get on board with the uh, Pierre Branding Group, I think she just nailed my entire mission statement and my life's work. So thank you so much. You're so and, welcome, uh, Pete. I love what I do yeah, and I love to be able to- <laughs> I love to be able to yeah. connect with people like you who are doing amazing things in their areas of, in their industry. And uh, being able to share your story and your thought process- is, is a big win for everyone because, I mean, a lot of times people kind of keep it as if it's a, some kind of a trade secret and you being willing to come on the podcast and share with the audience so that they can win again, I think is really awesome. So thank you. Awesome. Well, pleasure to be on. Thank you. And, uh, you know, keep doing good work. This all starts one entrepreneur at a time, solving a problem, making things better. Uh, and that's how we're going to live a you know healthier, happier lifestyle. So 
look forward to uh, meeting you in person. And uh, thanks for everything you do. And I appreciate being on. Absolutely. I look forward to be playing on the same team. <laughs> there you go. You're definitely on my team. If anybody here is trying to get on the team, I'm in your way. I got I got waiver rights. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Franchise tag you. That's what I meant. I'm going to franchise tag you. All right. Absolutely. Great to see you. Thanks. <laughs> you as well. Bye. You as well. Thank awesome. you so much. And for, um, tune in until next time on Leaders on the Rise. Right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Leaders on the Rise, Season 2, Road to a Million and Beyond. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you found it helpful. If you did, please leave a rating and review on Spotify or wherever it is you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. We have some amazing guests lined up, and I can't wait to share their stories with you. Until next time, keep rising. Keep rising.